Hello, and welcome to the Graphics Profiles, the official podcast of Graphics Pro and Graphics Pro Expo, covering the graphics market online, in print, and in person. I'm your host, Reagan Dickinson. Our guest for episode 40 is Josh Merrill, owner of Liquid Graphics in Los Angeles. Josh progressed from actively participating in a variety of action sports to building action sports brands to founding Liquid Graphics, a full-service screen printing operation producing more than 1 million units per month. Before we find out how he did this and how he's doing it, here's a quick word from the sponsor of this episode, Gildan. Don't miss out. The Gildan Soft Style 67,000 Adult CVC T-shirt is on sale and in stock. Available in 15 standout colors and in sizes extra small to 4XL. This shirt has a smooth finish and is great for DTG, discharge, heat transfers, and screen prints. Save now and get yours before the sale ends on October 2nd, 2022. Contact your distributor today. Well, first of all, uh, Josh, we really appreciate you joining us uh, for the graphics profiles. And, um, you know, I think a really good place for us to start is to uh, get kind of a basic backgrounder on you and how you got into the business and how that business has grown and evolved. Because as I recall, in your discussion with uh, lawn winners at uh, GPX Long Beach, um, you started off pretty small, but you've grown, I would say, almost exponentially. So tell me, tell me about that journey a little bit. Sure. I'll try and keep it somewhat to a minimum because it can, you know, be a long story, but <laughs> sure. Um, long story short, right? <laughs> yeah. Long story short. So I started off, uh, I own my own brand. I started my own brand when I was uh, 19 years old, um, wanted to create my own clothing line. And through that process, I started working with a lot of screen printers. Um, you know, building your brand usually starts with the t-shirts and the hats and I grew up in the action sports world, so I grew up surfing, skating, racing moto, uh, snowboarding, and and through that whole era of growth here in Southern California, which became kind of the, I'd say, the mecca of where a lot of the action sports brands were developed and, and grew from, Right. I started creating my own brands and through that learned and started understanding the garment world and really my background became more of design and uh, creating garments that that I believe that I wanted to wear that represented, I think, the community that I was involved in. Okay. So from there, um, I built my own brand, and through the growth of that brand, you know, no backers, no financing, no nothing. I uh, started learning my lessons and why the clothing business was so difficult. I uh, got burned, you know, through one of my distributors. Built the brand up to a pretty decent sized brand for a 19 year old kid. I suggest. I, I think that it got to a point where it probably needed some real capital. Um, but I learned my first lesson in finance and got burned. And for me to survive, I actually started designing for a lot of my buddies that were starting their clothing companies, which some of those are household name brands today. Mm -hmm. So some of those designs that I did started becoming, you know, good sellers and if not great sellers at some of the retailers. And I started realizing that design alone was very difficult to you know, spend four or five, sometimes eight hours on a design. And I'm not saying the best graphic designer, but I kind of knew the trends back then. And it wasn't as hand-drawn. It was more about logoing. And uh, that transformed into doing more and more work for a lot of the guys. And it's got to a point where I was working 15, 18 hours a day doing design and just barely making ends meet. So part of my 
thought process was, well, I'd rather do the t-shirt printing. I don't care about the design no more. Um, I had a good amount of knowledge of the screen printing business from just doing a lot of my own stuff, the challenges in that and so forth. And I thought I had some pretty great vendors to work with. And I started building, um, instead of doing the, I said, a design will go for free, but I want the production. And some of those brands started having some big hits on some of my designs. And uh, I took the production instead of the design work and, oh, I did the design work, but also got the production out of it. And it started turning into me subcontracting a lot of the screen printing and started running into the normal challenges I think you run into in screen printing today, which was having the same quality all the time, getting deliveries on time, uh, just started running into those problems. So I did that for about a year, year and a half. And, and I just realized that I was starting to let down customers uh, because I was being told different things that I'd relate to my customers. I just couldn't understand why couldn't we get product on time? Why couldn't it always be the same quality? And I made a decision I was going to do it on my own, you know, not knowing what I didn't know back then and how challenging the industry really was. I decided to start my own screen shop. So I started, you know, I was really good about saving my money as much as I possibly could back then and, and building somewhat of a, a little bit of a capital. And, and I ended up getting a loan for equipment and started my own screen shop. And with that, I bought my first piece of equipment, which was a 14 color Challenger 2 from MNR. Uh, got all the equipment, uh, dryers, screens, inks, and had this machine sitting in a building that I had no idea how to even use or uh, screen print at that point. I thought I'd figure it out. Well, it took me a little while to figure it out. And thankfully, I found a few great employees in the very beginning that, that helped me develop um, at least the knowledge of knowing what I was going to do as far as actually printing on the machines. But I never really printed myself. I always hired the right people to uh, run the machinery. And, and I focused more on sales and operations because I constantly was in my head that I was not going to become what I was so disappointed uh, being, being in the industry for the short amount of time I did, I was always disappointed. And I just want to make sure I did not keep that same legacy going to my own company. Uh, it is a challenging industry timing, all the different components and efficiencies and to make money in it and all these things. I learned why it was so difficult for some of these guys to do what we thought was so simple. Um, but it was my goal to continue doing that. So I think, uh, the beginning stages of liquid graphics was really built from, really going above and beyond and trying to do everything we could to make sure that not only did we ship on time, but we shipped it with the best quality products that we could. And we did everything we could to make sure that that job went out exactly like it was supposed to. Um, we continue to do that to this day. Um, as you grow your company, obviously you run into more challenges. You rely more and more on, on people to make decisions for you. And I think that's really some of the success we've had at liquid is constantly training into a lot of the areas um, that were, in my opinion, some of the pain points that typical brands or retailers or customers ran into, which was getting the consistent product on time and delivered at the right price. So I think that was really what helped grow liquid is I tried making a very big stance on customers first, customers first on every little thing that we did. And that eventually turned into where I had to make money because there was times where we didn't make money and I became more operationally focused, which is uh, where we are today. We're, we're sales focused and we're operationally focused. And, and I think that's a continuance of, of that success. Okay. So what's the breadth of your uh, operation right now, as far as 
you know, how much equipment do you have? How much square footage are you working out of? So we were at 24 machines uh, in 2018. We mm-hmm. actually made an acquisition of another company. They had, I think they had 13 machines and we had 11 or, or something like that. And we had 24 okay. machines at the same time. I made a decision to move over to rock screen printing equipment. And through some of the efficiency, I studied their machinery for about a year. And I believe that they were going to be more efficient. So through some of the efficiency, I thought we would gain from that. And on top of that, some of the customer base that I knew that we would probably not continue with, with the acquisition, uh, we came to a calculation that we needed 15 machines. So we went from 24 to 15 machines and it wasn't all just the rock machines, even though they did play a big part in our efficiency really were super focused on uh, the operations itself too. So a combination of the machinery and our procedures uh, really got us to a point where we took 24 machines down to 15 machines. So we have 15 machines today, uh, about 350 employees, 160,000 square feet um, operating between 10 and uh, 12 hours a shift. So we run 20, 24 hours a day, depending on the seasonality of, of the demands. You know, and, and you alluded to um, quite a few aspects of your business that you've learned over the years that have led to this point where you have a, a large operation and a successful one, obviously. Um, you, you know, first, I, I kind of want to backtrack a little bit because uh, I want to talk about a, a couple of those items. Um, one of those items was being able to meet those pain points. And that comes down to an operations issue, as you said. What were the keys to being able to do that? In other words, you wanted to make sure it was on time. It was consistent quality. Whether you're a small screen printer or a large screen printer, what are the keys to making that, making those pain points for your customers go away? So, you know, externally, we want to make sure that we do everything we can to make any pain points go away. But internally, we actually take that on our shoulders, right? So planning and communication is key. You know, one thing that liquid that I've done over the years with Liquid is really segmented the business into almost many departments that have expectations for each one of those departments and a minimum level. And, and, and we know where we actually kind of crack it a little bit where it's too much in that department, overloading that department. So we really pay attention to the timing of what we're committing to. We do a lot of pre-planning on everything we do. And, and that's come with pain. It hasn't always been this great operation and we still run into some pain points. There's just times where there's just too much stuff coming in, or we have delays from uh, vendors that, especially in today's new world, that really cause a lot of crunches right at the last minute that we still have to solve. So yeah, really the, the key thing that I believe was our success in getting through some of those pain points was really having our minimum and our standardizations in each one of the departments and a minimum and maximum flow that we could put through those departments, depending on the size of orders that were coming through there. And really monitoring the timing of each one of those events to happen in the shortest amount of time possible. You can't just take a month or two months to do every single order. So you have to really have your your flow in each one of those departments and monitor that they're actually happening or else one thing happens and then next thing you know is you have a domino effect each one of those departments so we really have each one of the departments structured to where we know what the expectations are and the flow of those departments and we really have a lot of planning done in advance to try and make sure that all these different steps happen in the right time to be able to ship that product out the door and if there's delays on the customer or the i'm sorry on the vendor or the customer side 
uh, we make sure that we figure out another plan to to overcome those. Okay. And, and can you give me an example of one of the departments and then, you know, just basically how you structured that so that the, the flow would work for you and work for uh, your goals? Yeah. So what we have is we have a master plan in each department um, and how they all tie together. So okay, I'll, let's just take the screen printing department, uh, the screen department for one. So we know that X amount of screens are going to come out of that department per day based on the capacity. Let's say, I think we have approximately 600 screens that come in and out of a uh, the screen department today. Well, what 600 of those going to be? Well, we have a schedule that's set that's set every single week. Um, and there's no schedule that you can keep for a whole week. So what we do is through that each morning before shift start, we're adjusting those schedules against those demands against the amount of units that we can put out. And that's kind of a fluid thing that we're constantly working on day by day. And every department is together in the morning, making those plans for the adjustments for that day. But we're constantly rescheduling all departments at least a week out so we can kind of see what's on the horizon so we can get ahead of the jobs that we know are already consistently going to come in and then the ones that have immediate uh, needs. So we're constantly having this, like, let's say 75% rule We're 75 or 60% of it's planned and 40% of it's reactionary or 75% of it's planned and 25% is reactionary. So we're always trying to plan against these department loads to where we have flexibility in them, but we have some stability in each one of them on, on what the expectations should be. Because if we don't, one day we'll have a hundred flow through it. And next day we need 600. We're gonna get behind and we're 500 screens behind. If you don't have some type of planning mechanism in each one of these departments at a minimum, you're going to have this random amount of products coming to a department at whatever time, how are you going to manage all these different processes of coming together for the actual ship date? And let's take a minute to hear from our sponsor, Gildan. Looking for quality, comfort, and durability at a good price? Look no further. Gildan's Soft Style 67,000 Adult CVCT is in stock, and the best part? It's on sale. This soft cotton poly blend is designed to last, and the smooth finish will make your prints pop. Get yours today. Sale ends October 2nd, 2022. Contact your distributor for more details. And we're back with Josh Merrill with Liquid Graphics in Los Angeles. Now, I think this is kind of related to, you know, what we're talking about as far as uh, tightening up your processes and, and creating that workflow. But how are you prepared for good times and bad times with operational minimums and maximums and, and just being nimble? How do you how do you do that? Because you never know what's going to happen next. Like, I mean, COVID is a perfect example. Um, as was the economic downturn um, back in around 2008. How do you how do you prepare yourself for situations like that? And is it do you make hay while the sun shines, while things are good? And that's part of your preparation. What is your outlook on that? Well, first of all, we always run our company fiscally correct. So we're not taking everything out of the company. Every time we make a profit, we're we're putting money away for a rainy day and we run our business as a true business. And we know I think you have to have some operation if you want to have a successful company and grow it, you really have to know your operational matrix to understand when you're making money and when you're not making money. But fiscally being responsible to make sure you make payroll and you make all your vendor payments and everything else is is a key part of of the success of of continuing to do that. But 
scalability and downsizing, I think are almost similar to each other where we've built the infrastructure to where I have a minimum infrastructure that I mean, you can only take a business down so much before the business breaks. Right. I know what it takes at a bare minimum to operate this business. That's our starting point. That's worst case scenario. So let's say, let's just take easy numbers that, that I don't know, $20 million, right? Let's just say that's the number. And then we know the maximum is a hundred. So now we have this range and we have a minimum viability that, that the business can be at. And we know what that infrastructure entails. It has to have an operator. It has to have a accounting department. It has to have a sales department. It has to have separations. It has to have a screen department. We know at the minimum viability to make an order process through the building. We also mm-hmm. know how many people it takes to completely scale that. And we have that tied to not only units, but also to dollars based on averages. So as we scale the operation, we know, um, you know, from just history and monitoring each one of the departments and understanding the output to labor ratios, what it takes. And, and I think that that has been one of the things that have helped us become successful because look, we've had downturns also, you know, things are, you know, COVID was a perfect example. The first two months of COVID, nobody knew what was going on. We were scared to death. We were shut down for 60 days. Right. And that was the first time that I went, not the first time, but probably the first time in the last 15 years, I was like, oh my God, this is not good. What am I going to do? Right. This continues, you know, when you have 300 and something employees and an operation this size, the bills don't stop. <laughs> but when you have no sales for 45 days, the, this, everyone still wants to get paid. And, and we continue to do that, but there's a certain point where that breaks any company. Um, and again, this goes back to, you do have to put money away for a rainy day. And that definitely was the case. Those were rainy days. Um, that year actually turned out to be uh, a very tough year in the beginning, but ended up becoming a very strong year by the end of the year. Um, I think when demand came back, it came back so strong that we actually had incredible growth and we had record profitability that year, which was, which was a crazy thing. So let's take, let's take the COVID out of the, the whole equation. I think mm-hmm. that that was a, an anomaly that, that hopefully doesn't happen again. Yeah. Um, but I think scalability and downsizing, you have to have a business. You have to understand your minimum viable business, in my opinion, of where that can be, because there's a certain point where you just can't do everything yourself at a certain size. Um, and today with the amount of square footage we have and machinery, there's no way this can be a one man band. It's impossible, no matter how much I want to try and do everything myself. So I got to know what that minimum viability is. And then I have to have a scalability plan. And that's, you know, I've, I've scaled up, I've scaled down, you know, luckily and, and thankfully for the last 10 years, 12 years, we've constantly been scaling up. But when we've scaled down, I still had a profitable company because I made sure I managed my overheads and my labor against that downsizing of the company. And I do the same thing on when we're growing, not all growth is good growth. We took down a lot of growth over the last two years that we could have taken on. The financing maybe wasn't right. The credit decision maybe wasn't right. The company, you know, might not have been in a great position for us to take on their financing, or there might not have been the right profitability matrix because we understand what it takes to do everything, or we know the customer is very difficult to deal with and they create issues within our operation. So we made a lot of decisions on how we move forward and who we move forward with. And then we also made sure that we didn't pit new customers ahead of our loyal customers, you know, and that, and that, that's a hard decision to make too, because you're constantly want to grow. Right. 
Can you give me some insight into the communication aspect of it um, as far as uh, maintaining good communication lines with your customers? Is it, uh, I mean, do you do some automated emails or is it just, do you give them a call? What, what does that look like? So I'm a big believer in picking up the phone, even though it's been harder and harder to communicate with customer, our customer service internally. There's a lot of communication that's done by email for obviously for record keeping purposes. Right. Um, and everyone's so used to communicating by email that sometimes when you want to solve something, you're like, just pick up the phone and call them. And then, like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and look, we're not perfect. I mean, we make mistakes too. Uh, the difference is I think that we tell our customers the truth, good or bad, you know, and we, we work with them. They know that we'll do anything we can to make sure that what we say happens, happens. I mean, we do pull pull off miracles sometimes for our customers that even blow me away that we pull them off. I mean, we, sometimes we got a cut, we got a call from a customer. I'll give you a great example. Last, let's see, what was it? Six months ago that they had a, there's a big tour customer. They had a huge tour. It was way more successful than they thought and they needed another 200,000 units within a weekend. And we're like 200,000 units within a weekend. Here's what we can do. We're not gonna pull that off on a weekend. Let's see what we can do. And we went back and we worked with our, you know, I was gonna force my whole company to come in on, on Sunday and everything else. So what we did is we worked really diligently with our, not only our customer, but also with our staff to say, here's the opportunity, here's what it's gonna take. And what do you think we can do? And we went through all of our plan. We can't screw all of our other customers by this demand. Mm -hmm. can't just drop all them. So we went through and we laid out an expectation of what we could pull off and everyone bought into it together. And we sold to our customers said, here's what we can do. And we, we can deliver X amount of units on these days. Do you need all 200,000 units by Monday? Can you have, you know, a hundred thousand ship by Monday? And then the other 25, 30,000 units continuing, you know, every four hours from there. And so we built a model that would get them to the number they wanted within uh, a real delivery time schedule and we executed it and and they were very happy that it happened did it all happen by monday no but they knew coming out of the gate that it was going to happen by the day that we told them and mm -hmm. we pulled it off without taking out any other customers out of the model without you know sacrificing employees being here that didn't want to be here and we went through really doing a lot of planning and we did it very quickly and it brought all the teams together from every department and they all made decisions together. I didn't make those decisions. I didn't force anybody. I said, here's the opportunity. Let's either say yes, let's go or, or no, let's not. And let's lay out the, the terms of how we're going to execute this. So I think that's what we do very well is we actually sit down as a team and tell our customer what is real and what's not. And if we make a mistake, we tell them as fast as we possibly can so they can make decisions. Yeah, and that probably encapsulates everything about your success over the years too, right there. Um, so I really appreciate your your time, your, your expertise, your experience, and for joining us uh, on the Graphics Profiles podcast. Thank you so much, Josh. I appreciate your time too, Reagan. You guys are doing a great job out there. Thank you, sir. And thanks again to our guest, Josh Merrill, and to our sponsor, Gildan. You can find Josh's company online at liquidgraphicsmfg.com and Gildan at gildanbrands.com. If you're looking for perspectives, education, tips, tricks, news, videos, and more to help your business prosper, go to graphics-pro.com. And for convenient regional events catering to graphics professionals across America, check out graphics-pro-expo.com. 
You can find this podcast at your favorite platform, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or SoundCloud. You can also browse the archives at graphics-pro.com. Thanks for listening, and until next time, adios, amigos.